0: Hi all, welcome to another episode of the Leading Safely podcast. Today we're going to start to move into more of a systems look with a deep dive into the world of incident investigations. Let me begin by premising this episode with whilst I'm a brilliant trainer assessor, if I must say so myself, I will not be training you in how to conduct an incident investigation today. Instead, we will be looking at the premise around what is an incident investigation, when they should be done what they involve and how to ensure you remain true to your personal values, hold upright integrity and stay ethical while still identifying learnings. Firstly, what do I mean by incident investigations? Let's define those terms and then we can move on. Incident, being an unplanned event or situation that may or may not have resulted in harm to a person or thing. Investigation, being the process of finding out what happened, why it happened and ensuring there is learning from the event. I'm just going to put this out here now though, and this is a take it or leave it statement. Investigations have changed. 10, 15, 20 or 30 so years ago, ICAM was the be all and end all. For those of you that don't know what ICAM is, it stands for Incident Cause Analysis Method, and it's a methodology accepted and used worldwide to understand what went wrong when an incident occurs. The background to ICAM goes way back into the late 1990s when BHP identified that they were using a variety of investigation tools that were being utilised across their entire organisation, which meant it was difficult to use the learnings from serious incident investigations for trending or collective learning as they were not investigated in a consistent nor effective manner, basically like comparing apples with pears. So BHP decided to commission a project to evaluate the merits of their existing investigational methods against defined criteria, and then to benchmark their findings against other studies in the public domain. The project commenced with a two-day workshop involving 38 HSC professionals from across the company to evaluate their current investigation tools and subsequently develop an in-house incident investigation management system, which incorporated the best practice elements of all the reviewed systems. With the help of Professor James Reason, BHP developed the formal ICAM process in 1998 and then further developed the process in the year 2000. Resource material was developed to support investigations using ICAM and a training package was developed and rolled out across all BHP sites within a three-year period. A network of ICAM practitioners was formed to support novice investigators or to support sites to investigate significant incidents. Finally, in July 2002, BHP outsourced the provision of ICAM training and consulting services to a company called SafetyWise Solutions. What most people know the ICAM process to be is, you've interviewed your witnesses, you collected your data and then you got into a room and you fought it out analysing that data, putting pen to paper, whiteboards, butcher's paper, stick it notes, you name it, until you've identified their contributing factors and a basic root cause or causes. And that's if you did a mediocre version. If you're like what I've seen, being called an ICAM out on site, there might be minimal data collected, a few facts that support blaming the operator. There hasn't been a very close look at the organization's systems and processes to see how they might have contributed to the event. And corrective actions will be things like retraining the individual, a HR process to be completed, toolbox talks to be conducted, Nothing of value comes from an ICAM where the aim is to name, shame, blame, tame, and retrain. In fact, nothing of value comes from any sort of investigation when those are the outcomes. What we know is that employees do not come to work and set out to have an incident, damage equipment, or injure themselves. They come to work to do their job, get paid, and go home safely. But yet these investigations keep occurring with the same results. Where's Johnny today? Oh, I put him on a plane home. Can't have an operator who runs into the wall on my shift. The point I should make here as well is that of course ICAM isn't the only methodology out there. Another methodology I have used is Essential Factors, which takes on more of an engineering approach and looks to prove or disprove potential hypotheses on what caused an incident. It looks at event timelines with granular, finite detail down to levels like stable and metastable and identifies factors that were essential to the incident occurring. Please understand, though, I'm not saying that these methodologies are rubbish. Far from it, actually. What I am saying, though, is whether you do an ICAM, an Essential Factors, an Ishikawa, a Taproot, whether you do investigations the same or you do investigations differently. Do them properly. So, how do you do that? How do you ensure that you're conducting an effective investigation? Firstly, take the time to ensure that you've collected adequate evidence and data. Review what you already have. Check everything for quality purposes. I will never forget when I was asked to assist a supervisor with an investigation for a notifiable incident on a mine site. He told me he'd taken a series of photographs of the incident scene which really showed how things happened. I was super keen to see these incredible shots. Unfortunately, when I reviewed the photos he had taken, I realised that he had left a selfie filter on whilst taking the pictures and every single image had a close-up of his nostrils superimposed over the incident image. I had to spend hours cropping and attempting to salvage some aspect of usefulness from those terrible pictures, and the image of up his nostrils is forever ingrained in my memory. So do take the time to review what evidence you already have, and if need be, go out and collect extra. When you are collecting evidence, don't put your policeman's hat on at all. Investigations are now commonly referred to as event learnings, because that is what they are the opportunity to learn and mitigate risk. Don't interview the workers involved. Don't get them to write an incident statement. Instead, hold discussions with the involved parties to provide them with an opportunity for them to tell you what happened in their own words and document what is being said. Hold learning teams with workers who may form part of the operational work area relating to the incident. Learning teams facilitated means of engaging with workers to understand and then learn from the opportunities that are presented. Learning teams allow you to gain insight around how work was intended to be done versus how it was actually done on the day. It is these insights that are incredible and valuable to continuous improvement and creating safer systems and processes. Another way to look at this is to ensure you put the organisation, systems and processes in your scope at the centre of the investigation and then aim to identify how all the other aspects of the event interacted with these systems and processes. Never ever put the person in the centre. This ties in with my next tip. Do not go into an investigation with an outcome in mind or with your own views on how you think the event may have occurred. If you think that you may be biased or pose a conflict of interest, or that there's too much influence for a specific outcome to eventuate, raise the matter with whoever you can. You've heard me in an earlier episodes speak about the incident with the light vehicle engine fire where two fitters received written warnings because the project manager made the poor decision to purchase cheap alternators and did not want to admit to his actions. This can and does still happen. You need to remain ethical. You need to uphold privacy and confidentiality and you need to keep to your personal integrity. If you're going to use a methodology such as ICAM or Essential Factors, then follow that methodology to a T. Do not leave an aspect or function out because you don't like it or because it takes too much time. The structure is there for a reason, so stick to it. Next, you should know there are no such things as corrective actions. The incident has already occurred and you simply just can't correct it. Think about what you've learned from the incident or event and how the organisation could move forward from those learnings. What could be implemented to ensure the risk of a similar event occurring is mitigated? While we are here, remove the words from the purpose of your investigation that state, to prevent recurrence. That is not the purpose of any investigation or event learning process. The purpose of an event learning process is, as I said earlier, to identify gaps in organisational systems and processes which can be used to minimise risk to workers. We need to continue to close that gap between work as intended and work as done. We need to declutter clean out these defunct procedures and outdated instructions and processes and focus on the work actually being done safely. Remember that just because a worker has not followed a specific procedure or process does not mean that the worker is actually working unsafely. It may just mean that the procedure is no longer fit for purpose and this factor should most definitely have been explored within the event learning process. Now, make sure that once you have outlined actions from your event learning, that you examine these to determine monitoring and measurability of effectiveness at key intervals throughout their implementation. I cannot tell you the amount of time I have seen similar incidents occur and then go back through the actions to identify if the first time the event had occurred, the action would have been implemented, we may not have had the second incident. Finally, remember, that being part of any event learning process takes a toll. It takes a toll on you as the lead, the team members and all the involved parties. Work crew team dynamics change after an incident. Due diligence may need to be reviewed. Obtain assistance from a third party when you can. This may be in the form of a consultant like myself from a health and safety perspective who can provide that fresh set of eyes or provide coaching or advice or For more serious events, it may be a psychologist, a resilience engineer, or someone who specialises in critical events and providing the appropriate level and type of assistance required. EAP does not cut the mustard anymore, especially when it comes to psychosocial risks present after a critical event. So there you have it. This isn't Georgina's methodology. Actually, you know what? It is. If you're going to take the time to put yourself through an event learning process, then as I said earlier, do it properly. For your sake, for the sake of the organisation and for the sake of every single other employee that wants to go home safely to their families. Well, that, my friends, brings us to the close of another episode. I'd love to hear your feedback or your thoughts or even read what you've learnt from conducting incident investigations and event learnings of yesteryear. So please do reach out to me on LinkedIn via my website, or by emailing me at leadingsafely@outlook.com. at outlook.com. Until next time, stay safe.